This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Praise the Lord. Good morning. You may be seated today. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. It's so good to see you. I've been in and out, uh, mostly out for the last bit, and then uh, went on a hunting trip this last Sunday and came, heard the message on Sunday. Did not trust Trenton, Pastor Trenton, do an amazing job. Amazing sermon, amazing sermon. If you did not hear it, I encourage you to go on and to listen to that. Today, I get the privilege of ending this series uh, of um, parables. And so we're going to be stepping into a brand new series next week called Fight. Everyone say fight. Uh, you know, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight amongst ourselves. Uh, actually, we're going to get our focus on who we need to be fighting and what we need to be fighting for. Um, this Wednesday is See You at the Pole. Uh, See You at the Pole. And some people are going, what is See You at the Pole? See You at the Pole is a very significant event for us as believers. Uh, across denominations, people come and gather around the flagpole at schools before school starts. So if you're, not, if you're here as a student and you've never joined See You at the Pole, get there a little bit early and join around the flagpole and you begin to pray for your school, pray for your, uh, your teachers and all those things. Praying for revival. How many know that we need some revival in this land, right? And uh, if you have questions, see Pastor, Pastor Jesse. He escaped and will be coming back in, but he'll be able to give you any information uh, about that. This Wednesday night is a really special, real special occasion, one that we uh, have done more frequently in the past, and because of COVID, we kind of slacked off, but we're starting back with great aggressiveness, and this Wednesday at this campus is our worship and prayer night, and I, I want to challenge you if you're online, if you're here today, many of you can come back and go, well, you know, Pastor Kevin, I can pray at home, and I want to go, glad you can. It's really important that you can, and I can even tell you this, Jesus told you to, right? He says, go into your closet and to pray, but he also said, where two or three are gathered, something dynamic happens. And so we want that two or three to gather. Uh, we really like, like more than just two or three, but we can have power with two. You know, you think about it, if one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, can you imagine if we had 100, what would happen? I'm not a mathematician, but someone else could kind of go up. But think about it, seriously, right? right. Wow, that doesn't excite you very much. Is anybody battling anything? Anybody think that we need some shifts? We need to get a little bit excited about some prayer here. And I know it's work, but can I tell you it's very, very rewarding. Uh, I say all that to say this. Uh, we, we will not, everyone say not. We will not be live streaming our prayer and worship service this time. We want you in this room. Uh, we want you here. Uh, if, you, if you can't make it for whatever reason, join us at home and just pre be praying. But I believe that God's going to do something very, very significant this Wednesday night. We have, uh, our worship is going to shift. It's going to be a little, it's not going to be as bombastic. It's going to be more acoustical style. We, we want to get back, we want to get back to the prayer that we used to pray, or the way we used to pray, amen? So we want you to join us, and we don't want to be on spectacle on, online, and we're not trying to, but we, we we just want to be free to do what God asks us to do. So if you want to come and get a little bit radical, you want to come, I'm freaking everybody out here going, what are you going to do? Uh, who knows? Who knows? I just say this, come with faith and expectation. Come with faith and expectation. I'm not going to, we're not going to try and con contrive anything at all, but we want the Holy Spirit to move and he's the one that we want, right? Amen. Good to, good to be back. Again, this is exciting. I'm, I'm glad to finally step into my fall. You guys have already been in the middle of it going, Pastor Kevin, when are you going to catch up? And that's my concern. When am I going to catch up? <laughs> uh, I got a list of things that I'm going to try and bust through this week so that I can start next week uh, in normalcy, if that's possible. Everyone say, what's normal? What is normal anyway, right? You know, uh, the old statement is it's setting on a dryer and that's it, you know. So it's parables. We're in this series on parables. A simple story used to illustrate a deep and a profound spiritual, uh, spiritual lesson, a spiritual thought. I love that Jesus was this man of stories. He was a man that wanted to teach deep spiritual thoughts. But, you know, as we've learned throughout this series, not every parable did everyone understand, how many have realized even in your life as we've unpacked some of these parables, you're like going, oh, there's new understanding. You know, I think, isn't that the dynamic of God, though, is that he continually peels back the layers of our understanding? The more we get to know him, the more, the more we realize what we didn't know. 
The, more, the longer we've, we've known him, the more we realize we, haven't, we don't know. A statement that we've been using is that Jesus could have used any avenue to communicate the truths of his kingdom, but he chose parables. And our desire from this series, our desire, God's desire, I believe Jesus' desire is that you would understand, everyone say understand, understand what the parable meant. And as you understand it, that you would come to a place of going, in my understanding, how am I going to align my life and my actions to the word of God? Isn't that really what God's word is all about? Isn't it repeated several times throughout the New Testament that he would rather us be doers of the word rather than just hearers of the word? How many would be guilty in this room to say you've just been a hearer at one time or another in your life? Probably all of us can raise our hands and go, no, there's been times I have understood the truth and I've known the truth, but I've just listened to it rather than doing it. And, and the whole purpose of Jesus is going, I want you not just to hear it. I don't want you just to understand it. I want you to actually align your life with it. It's a challenge that we still have today in 2022. These parables that we're coming into, and uh, Trenton did one out of Matthew 13. Allie started off the series back at the beginning of August in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm ending the series in Matthew chapter 13. There's a segment of parables that are here as a, a consecutive, I think there's like seven or eight of them. Probably should have counted them to be exact, so I gave you correct information, but maybe I piqued your interest and you'll go look. Uh, but there's several of them that Jesus is speaking, and the very first part of chapter 13, he's making a corporate, a public announcement. He's dialoguing the sower and the seed. He's doing all these different parables uh, to, to, the, to the crowds. There's a group of people that are there, and it, they could have been followers. They could have been opponents. It doesn't necessarily say it. It just says there's a crowd of people. But there's a significant change right before or right after he tells a parable and he says, then, it's, then it says, that then they moved inside. They moved inside. I'm going to say they moved inside. When you go inside, when you're going into someone's house, it becomes a little bit more intimate. And in that process of him going inside, he divulged the truth of what the weed and tares were, what Pastor Trenton preached last week. And then he went on to share five more parables. And this is a segment of, a segment of scripture that theologians over and over and over again say that, it's a, that Jesus is talking about the secrets of the kingdom. Everyone say secrets. How many like secrets? Right? No, no one likes secrets? How many like secrets when you know the secret? You know, how many like secrets when you don't know the secret and someone else is going, shh, I can imagine in this process of what's taking place is like going, okay, well, Jesus is in our groups going in the house. We have to leave. What's he going to talk about? But I think it's really important for us to understand that Jesus is coming with a very direct objective. He's pulling his closest followers together to say, I want to teach you something that no one else is really going to understand. I want to give you some important concepts that you would be able to walk and live in this kingdom. I want you to grasp what is taking place. He finishes this segment of parables in verse 51, and he says, have you understood all of these things? Have you understood all of these things? And I think that would be a question that Jesus comes to us when we read his word. He's going, Kevin, have you understood what I'm saying to you? When we sit here on a Sunday morning, he's coming and going, have you understood? Because if you understand, then you have responsibility for. His disciples left that room, left that house after this intimate moment, out of this secret moment that he was sharing with them with the responsibility. They had something that they had to go do, these secrets that were shared. And Pastor Trenton alluded on the kingdom of God last week, and I want to just kind of go there just slightly because I love the, the uh, quote that he gave by John Piper. He said, I think the most important thing I could say about the kingdom of God that would help people make sense out of all, all of the uses is that the basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is God's reign. Not reign like pouring rain, R-A-I-N, but God's reign, or not reign like a horse, R-E-I-N, but reign like the kingdom of God, the ruler over our lives. Not a realm of people, the kingdom creates a realm, the kingdom creates a people, but the kingdom of God is not synonymous with its realm or its people. 
I love this concept because when you go to a lot of these uh, passionate parts where God is speaking to us, where Jesus is speaking to his people, he refers a lot to the kingdom. The disciples come in Matthew and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And one of, his, one, of the, one of the lines, the second line, it says, Jesus comes and he says, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. This process that is there, the significant, the significant aspect. Jesus is trying to get our understanding that there is something that is now. There is something that is distant, but there is something that's present. And we need to pray for it. We need to be alert to it. And that's why this is so important that when Jesus is coming and talking about the secrets of the kingdom, we need to peek our ears. Not just because we see the red, red letters in the Bible, but can I tell you, when there's red letters, you need to pay attention. It's Jesus speaking to us. There's something significant that he's wanting to communicate. And that's what Jesus is doing in this segment of Scripture these parables. Today, the title of my message is what's it worth to you? Everyone say that. What's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? And I come back and say, what are you willing to pay for? When we think of something, that dialogue or that question, what's it worth to you? Is it really that much? Or do you really want to spend that much money on it? Do you want to, do you want to want them to come down? Are you going to wait for a sale? Anybody sale hunters? Anybody, like, you're seeing something, you're going, oh, dear Jesus, let it go on sale because I really want that. Anybody just go buy the whole, pay the whole price? Been there, done that, right? Because you, how, why? Because it's worth that to you. You want it. You want it. What's it worth to you? There's actually a website uh, that's called What's It Worth to You? And on this website, I found this, this amazing picture here. If you want to, right there. What's it worth to you? This is on this website. This is a collector's item. And someone out in the world would pay five to six hundred dollars for these six-inch stuffed dwarves. What what do you say? You know what do you say? Uh, if they were like if they were new, if they were like new, these these ones have been worn, so uh, they're not like new. But if they were like new, they would sell for twelve hundred dollars. Can I tell you on this website there is stuff on there like I'm going. It needs to be burned. <laughs> Someone throw it in the trash, right? And they're going, no, people will buy that. They, I mean, there's a whole section on there of McDonald's collector's items. So, like, if you have all the old McDonald's toys, you could be literally a millionaire right now. <laughs> if it's worth it to somebody. What's it worth? What is it worth? I think of as I was a kid... I dreamt about treasures, the treasure hunting. Anybody treasure hunters when you were a kid and you wanted to follow a map and you, it's like you wanted to get somewhere. You were excited by all this process. And I remember uh, recess in grade school and we'd get all excited and we'd draw a map during, during as subjects is going on and we're like putting together this map and then we'd go out and we'd hide something on, on the playground before our friends got out there and then we'd give them the map and they'd have to go discover it. And it wasn't fun to draw the map. I always wanted to go to... I wanted to discover what it was, you know, and it could be a marble, you know, and you're going, ah, I found the treasure, treasure, I win, you know, whatever it might be. But we got excited about those things. I think uh, a memory that comes back to me is growing up, and even when uh, we were young Mary, before we had kids, uh, there's a place in Montana called Crystal Park, Montana. I'm originally from Montana, born and raised there, Crystal Park, Montana. And literally, it's quartz crystals that you go and you dig and you hunt and you look for and you sift sand and you dig holes and all that process that is there. And can I tell you, think about this idea of trying to discover a quartz crystal, trying to discover this, this, this cool uh, crystal that's, that is made by God in earth. This concept that is there. And as you're digging and you're, you're laboring, you're going, well, maybe it's going to be in this scoop of dirt. Maybe it's going to be here. And you have to be really careful so that you don't break a crystal. And the, here in this picture, these are some actual authentic crystals th- from uh, Crystal Park, Montana. Not that I possess, but I do have some in my office that I have dug. Uh, and they're, they're, it, it, it's a th- it's, there's a thrill to it. You're kind of like going, well, that's really stupid. That's boring. Uh, but there's a challenge to it, and you get caught up in the process. You get, you're willing to stand out in the sun and sweat and get dirty as you're trying to find a bigger crystal than your spouse. 
You know, I mean, or trying to find a bigger crystal than someone else's. They're going, look at the crystal I found. Yours is, yeah, but look at mine. Right? This idea, this concept that is here. Today in this parable, Jesus is coming and he's dialoguing about what's it worth to you? What is it worth to you? What is the kingdom of God worth to you? I don't know if you and I have ever thought about it or ever put a price tag on the kingdom of God, but I can tell you this, God put a price tag on it. That price tag was Jesus. And sometimes I wonder, do we really understand the value and the concept of this kingdom that God has asked us to be part of? What are things in your life that you pursue? What are the things that you're willing to sacrifice for? What is it that you save your money to buy? What is it that you pinch and, and budget and shift your entire life to be able to grasp? What are those things that you pursue? Can I tell you today, whether it's relationships, jobs, popularity, money, hobbies, whatever it might be, it's going to cost you something. We shift our priorities for them, do we not? We shift our lives for them. We shift how we spend our money for them. We shift how we live, all those things. And I ask you today, what's it worth? What's it worth? Matthew chapter 13, if you'll turn there or follow along on the screen, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found, out, found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it. And I ask you today, what is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? Heavenly Father, today I thank you for the power of your word. God, I thank you that it quickens. I thank you that it convicts. God, I thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged two sword. God, I thank you that it comes in and it judges our thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And God, today I have no ability and no power to bring judgment upon people in this room today or online. But God, only you do. So God, I pray today that through the power of your word, through the power of this parable, through these truths as we understand them, God, that you would, you would draw us to align our lives and our actions with you in Jesus' name. These uh, parables, they're, called, they're classified as twin parables. They're classified as twin parables because they're focusing on the same sub subject, the same idea of sacrifice and worth and value. We look at the very first one and we see the man who is out in, a, out in the field digging and we don't know if this man, he's obviously not the owner of the property, so we don't know if he's an employer of someone that is there or he's just venturing across someone's property. Uh, back in that day, I doubt that they had no trespassing signs like they do today and they probably had very few fenced areas and he came across this property and some say that, some theologians say that he was just a common laborer and he was out doing whatever needed to be done. And as he is doing whatever he is doing, he discovers this treasure. What is fascinating to me and what's kind of sad a little bit is that there's no description of the treasure. Is anyone like going, well, what was in the box? What was it? What is there? What was so valuable? It doesn't describe any of it at all. All we know is that he, oh, he dug whatever it was and he saw it and he immediately knew the value of what he found. Immediately, there was, it doesn't say that he pilfered through it and counted the coins or whatever it was. Immediately, it was there. He discovered there was something of extreme value. Many of us would come back and go, well, who is the idiot that buried their treasure in the field and forgot it there? Well, we have to understand in this culture, this was a very common practice. It was a culture because in this land, there was a lot of war, which there still is war, and war would come and there would be threat, and immediately they'd gather their valuables and they'd go dig a hole and they'd bury their valuables, and many of them would run for their lives and they'd go, someday we'll come back and we'll get our valuables. It was more than what they could carry. So this concept of what Jesus is dialoguing here is very, very understandable to the group of people and what they're hearing. And they're probably all going, oh, let's go dig a hole. Let's find the treasure. Let's find the crystal. 
Some would say that Jesus is excusing stealing. What you have to understand is that Jewish tradition says this, the traditional Jewish law in regard to hidden treasure. What finds belong to the finder and what finds must one cause, must, must proclaim to the owner. These finds belong to the finder. If a man finds scattered fruits, scattered money, these belong to the finder. In point of fact, this man had a right to what he had found. What you see in this passage of Scripture is that obviously he didn't haul off the treasure with him because he knew that he didn't own the property, whether he was do, whatever he was doing there. But it goes to a place that he went apart so that he might possess all of that. The second parable that we're dialoguing about here is a merchant, someone who was searching for the finest pearl. One stumbles upon the treasure, and one is looking for it. Many theologians, many commentaries come and compare that fact that some have stumbled upon the gospel of Jesus. Whether you've been raised in a home of Christianity and you just stumbled upon it and it was there and you've grown up with it. And then there are those that are empty and have sought for it. They've looked for it. They've looked for that answer of Jesus. But this one that we're talking about is this merchant and he's actively seeking this thing of value. He's looking for this finest of pearls. He wasn't talking about just any pearl. He was talking about one pearl. Everyone say one. In the ancient world, pearls had a very special place in people's hearts. They desired to possess a lovely pearl. They, it wasn't just the monetary value, but it was a status thing. It was also a value thing. They desired a pearl. They desired a, 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 the, the, right, the right style of pearl. What's so great about pearls, you ask, and I think they've kind of lost some of their glim and glitter in our culture today. Maybe I, I, I don't see people going, I got to have a pearl. But there's also now the, where they're man-manufactured man pearls, and we're talking about authentic pearls. What we need to understand is that one in 10,000 10, oysters have a pearl. One in 10,000 oysters have a pearl. One in 15,000 clams have a pearl. The thing that you need to realize is that not every pearl is of equal value. One in one million pearls is a value of between three to $500 where they will actually create and design a pearl necklace or pearl earrings. So you think about, you might find a pearl, you might find small pearls, but they're, they're not just looking for a pearl, they're, not, they're looking for the perfection of. So when you think about this concept, one in 10,000 or one in 15,000, you're gonna find, find a pearl, but one in one million, will you find a pearl that actually has gem value to it? We think about this concept here, and I did some research of what is the largest pearl that they have discovered today. This is the Pearl of Puerto. Large pearl. Let me read some statistics to you. This $100 million pearl is the largest and most expensive in the world. Ten years ago, a Filipino fisherman made an amazing discovery in the sea off the coast of Palawan Island. The Philippine, in the Philippines, it was a two-foot long, actually 26 inches in length. It was 12 inches wide, and it was in a large clam that he discovered. He, not really realizing what the value was, not realizing, he knew it was a pearl, but didn't realize what he had, he took this possession home and hid it underneath his bed, thinking it was good luck, thinking it was just a pearl. In the middle of all that, somehow, some way, it was discovered that he possessed this pearl, and it is valued at $100 million. This guy stumbled upon it. When we talk about this pearl of great price, this merchant that is out there, he's actually looking for the pearl. He's looking for the one that is bigger and better and greater. When we look at the Bible, Jesus speaks about pearls. He says, do not cast your pearls before Swine, don't cast your valuable things before those things. We can speed all the way to, to revelations, and Jesus, the, 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 the revelator at this moment, is declaring that the streets are made of gold and the gates are made of pearl. Can you imagine the clown that that thing's coming out of? Think about it. You think about that, 
that pearl being worth $100 million, can you imagine what the gates of heaven are going to be? Think about this concept. These people understood value. They understood a treasure that was hidden and, and, and found. They understood a pearl that was sought for and longed for. What's amazing to me is that they were both willing to sell everything. Everyone say everything. They were willing to sell everything, to give up everything that they had for this one item. The question that automatically comes into my mind, and my wife and I are rather really good about this when it comes to giving, but in my mind, I'm like going, I'm coming home and going, honey, I found this. Let's sell everything. And she's going to go, you're crazy. Can you imagine what's going on? Is this, this, these men, this story, they're giving up everything. They're, literally, they're giving up everything for these items. Have you ever been made fun of or questioned about your relationship with Jesus? Has there ever been a point in your life when a family member come back and go, why are you so faithful to church? Really, why do you give your money to that place? Do you realize what you could do with that money if you didn't give it to God? Why do you spend so much time serving? Can I tell you, people without the kingdom don't understand the kingdom. It's why Jesus comes at the very end of the statement and says, do you understand what I'm saying? And I ask you today, do you understand what I'm saying? There's something that's so valuable and so vital that I think many times we might understand it here, but we don't understand it here. That in serving Jesus Christ, I've known him and I was raised in a home, but I've, I've been in ministry for 36 years and that doesn't mean anything, but I love God. And I even reading this parable and I come back and go, God, do I, do I really grasp this? Kevin, what are you really willing to give up for the kingdom of God? And can I tell you this, what I've discovered? The more things I get, the harder it is to give up. Anybody out there? The more comfort I gain, the less I want discomfort. Amen. And it comes back to this concept, they gave up everything. In my many travels to, around the world to many locations of missions, I always buy trinkets to bring home, whether it's for my kids or for our home. And there's, uh, we, I'm a collector of nativity sets. I like to bring a nativity set home from wherever we go. And I remember, I mean, in, in most countries you go and you barter over the amount and you're told by the nationals that, are, that are, you're not just trying to cheat someone out of something, but when they see an American coming, they're oftentimes going, oh, they're rich. We can charge them whatever. And the nationals are come back going, no, you, need, you don't pay the full price because that's not what it's worth. So there's many times that you're bartering with this process of purchasing. And I remember there was one specific nativity set that I brought back from uh, Ethiopia. I guess actually it was Kenya. And I went into a marketplace that you couldn't barter over. Uh, and it was rather expensive, but it was made out of olive wood. It was hand-carved. It, it, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's beautiful. And uh, I paid the full price for it. And I was like, but I was like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. I was willing to pay the price for that. Can I tell you today, I, it was worth everything. Not everything in my wallet did it cost, but I'm like going, I will pay this because I want this. I want to take this home. My wife will really enjoy this. But can I tell you what brings us to mind is I don't see, see that these two men with the treasure and with the pearl, they're coming back to barter to go, no, I'm not going to pay you that much. I'm going to pay you this much. It says that they went away and they paid everything. They did it, whatever it took to possess the kingdom. Jesus is teaching here through this concept, the all-surpassing worth of knowing God, the all-surpassing worth of knowing the gospel, the all-surpassing worth of being saved and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not just an idea of salvation. It's an understanding of salvation. And can I tell you, when there's an understanding of salvation, there's something that God expects from you. There's something that God wants from our lives. Three truths that I want to show you today that I see in, this, in these two parables. Number one is that Jesus is saying that we need to delight in his kingdom. Everyone say delight. 
Jesus is saying that we need to delight in this kingdom. We don't oftentimes use this word delight today, but there is a significant aspect of this word delight. Delight means a high degree of gratification or pleasure, extreme satisfaction. When you and I think of delight, we think of our our flesh and our physical. We think of these things that are going to gratify something in us. When we see in the scripture, when we see in the very first parable, it says that the man went and sold everything with great joy. There was joy. There was pleasure. There was desire. It was not like he had to. He chose to. Desire. The main point of these these stories is this joy of discovery, the delight of discovery, The delight of finding something so unique and so valuable, willing to do whatever it took to get there. As I said, it wasn't just mere duty. Can I ask you today, how often do you pursue the kingdom of God with just mere duty? Well, I need to today. Okay, well, God, if I have to talk to you, I guess I will. Five minutes, phew, did it. Now I can go about. No, seriously, how often... Do we pursue God in just mere duty of I have to rather than no, I get to. I get to take time to read the word of God. Can I tell you today, God, Jesus came and he said, blessed are those, blessed are those, happy are those, enriched are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Can you come back and go, no, there's such a hungering and I delight in hungering? I delight in doing this. When's the last time you pulled out your, the Bible and you thought, man, I am so delighted I did this today. I find so much joy in this today. David in Psalms 51 says this. In his prayer of repentance, he says, God, restore. Everyone say restore. Restore unto me the joy, not of my salvation, Can I tell you that many times people misquote this passage of Scripture? Not restoring to me the joy of my salvation. It's restoring to me the joy of your salvation for me. Can I tell you, you don't do anything for salvation. You didn't save yourself. God, give me joy for saving myself. And you're going, no, God, help me realize this joy. Help me realize this salvation that you gave me. Help me reconnect the joy and the passion can I tell you today, when, we think, when I hear, read this story, I am so convicted because there's so many times in my life that I can get so weighted down by all of this that I forget this and the joy and the delight that should be there. Jesus says, you want my kingdom? You've got to delight in my kingdom. Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians, he says, but we have this treasure. What is that treasure? That treasure is Jesus You and I possess this treasure already, and it's not something that we've had to work for. It's sometimes we do have to seek it. Can I tell you, if you're wanting the kingdom, it's a daily seeking. It's a daily pursuing. It's not a one-time fits all. And many times we come and go, well, I'm saved. On whatever date it was, I prayed the prayer and I'm saved. And Jesus is going, but you just got a little bit. Do you not want more? We have this treasure, this all-surpassing power that is in us from God. Do you realize the power that's in you? Do you delight in that? Do you delight in the presence of God in your life? Not only is he saying that we need to delight, number two, Jesus is saying that we need to be willing to deny for the kingdom. Everyone say deny. Deny. I don't like that word. Anybody like that word? Anybody want to deny This word deny is so important for us to grasp, to refuse or to restrain oneself from gratification. To refuse, everyone say refuse, and refrain, everyone say refrain. It means you're going down the road and you're going, or for me, you're going past the donut shop and you're going, I refuse and I refrain from eating that thing that's going to gratify me. Simple illustration, but can I tell you, that's what God calls us to, is a place of denying a place of saying, no, I'm not going to. It's a place of saying, I'm going to say no to myself, but I'm going to say yes to the kingdom. I'm going to say no to me that I'm going to find joy and delight in the kingdom of God. Denying the pleasures of this world, denying our affections, denying ourselves. Who's your biggest enemy? 
Jesus demands sacrifice to follow him. This is, the great, this is a great sacrifice for this treasure. The sacrifice cost everything. It is in, it's pictured in how this man, how these men sold everything to acquire. The point of confusion here is this. You're saying, Pastor Kevin, does that mean I have to give up everything to get saved? Can I tell you right now, Jesus is not talking about salvation. There's nothing on this planet. Everyone say nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's no way to try harder. There's nothing you can sell, give up, give to God for salvation. The only sacrifice is Jesus. And oh, what a sacrifice it was. That's why the kingdom of heaven is so valuable. This parable focuses on this concept of total commitment. These people see, everything, see it and they sell everything. And I ask you today, where are you at in your commitment level to the kingdom of God? You're going, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm headed to heaven. I'm not going to tell you you're not going to get to heaven. But can I tell you there's something dynamic about this delight in the kingdom that's worth it all? That's more valuable than anything And I think of these men and I go, man, that is a risky move. For me to come back and go, honey, let's sell our house and let's sell our cars and let's do this and let's let's just let's just let's just live large. Let's take the risk. That's scary, is it not? This isn't the first place that Jesus spoke to this concept of total commitment. In Luke chapter 14, 33, he says, Any of you. Any of you, just imagine that Jesus is speaking right now to you. Any of you who does not give up everything. Everyone say everything. He, has, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Can I tell you, the more we acquire, the more comfortable it gets. But can I tell you, it also comes back and going, oh, it has a little bit of cling to my life. There's a place that we have to come back and go, God, no, I do. This does not own me. You own me. And you say, well, Pastor Kevin, I don't have a lot. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters how much value you place on it. Mark chapter 8 says this, verse 34 and 35. He says, then he called to the crowd. Then he called the crowd to him, excuse me, along with his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. That's not a passage of scripture that we've not heard. But I ask you today, do you understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying? When he says everything, he means everything. Doesn't mean that you necessarily go sell it all, but you come with everything and go, God, I'm not clinging to any of it. I'm holding it lightly. God, if you come and you pull it out of my hands, God, if there's a need, can I tell you, in our marriage, Ron and I have learned that when there's a need, we come and say, God, if you've given it, if, we, if there's any way we can be a conduit, God, let it flow through our hands. Kevin, do you ever feel selfish? Yeah. Is there ever a need that's there and you wrestle and you know you have a $50 bill in your wallet and an offering is going to be taken? You're going, oh, but I was going to, yeah, I wrestle. But can I tell you, the more you hold things like this, the more you're, the easier it becomes that you're going, God, can I tell you that that $50 bill is never missed when it's gone? How many have discovered that? When we hold things like this, the the delight of the kingdom pours into our lives. The sacrifice is worth it. Paul was an epic person of sacrifice. He comes and he says, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in their flesh, I want you to know I have more. Paul is here. He can boast about all of it. He comes because I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of, uh, of the pe- I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm, I'm the elite of the elite. I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law. Paul's coming and going, I, if I, anybody has any reason for salvation, if anybody has any reason for recognition, look at me. But right directly after that in verse 7, Paul goes on to this and he says this. And he says, but whatever gain I had, everyone say had. had. 
Whatever, whatever you think you have, it really isn't what you think it is. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of this surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Pastor Kevin, what are you asking us today? Number one, I'm asking, are you delighting in him? Number two, are you willing to deny yourself for him? Are you willing to go, no, for this delight? It's not mine. There's things that are pulling at me. There's things that are, that are drawing me, that are keeping me from God, that are holding me back, and I need to do this. Point number three, Jesus is lastly saying, that we must have great desire for his kingdom. Everyone say great desire. Desire, a conscious impulse or craving. Me and my donuts. It's conscious, and sometimes I follow that impulse. A strong feeling of wanting something. Can I tell you today, this word desire has been completely corrupted and distorted. This word desire has almost become perverse. I'm going to read some statements, and I want to preview, I want to preview by saying that, because many times some of these statements that I'm going to read, people are going to go, ooh, what's he talking about? Can I tell you today, when we talk about desire, there needs to be a desire for God like these words are defined. There needs to be something, when we come back to this word desire, a conscious impulse or a craving. What you and I think is desire is actually lust. Lust is defined this way, a disordered attraction. Today, you and I, we can think about, oh, I desire a donut, or I desire ice cream, or I desire that car, or I desire this or that, and it comes back to is usually a lust or a disordered attraction for. When we talk about this word desire, there's something, it's actually defined as a deep, wholesome longing. A deep, wholesome longing, an entirety, spirit, soul, and body, wholesome longing. What you need to realize is the desire led them both in their pursuit and in their sacrifice. Their desire for the kingdom led them to delight and joy. Their desire for the kingdom led them to the willingness to sacrifice everything. These parables describe this pursuit of ultimate value, and Jesus was not shy at dialoguing it. Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first, pursue first. Have it the right order of affections in your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added. Jeremiah 29, 13, Jeremiah writes, and he says, you will see, God's speaking through Jeremiah. He says, you will seek me. You will pursue me. You will be attracted to me. You will desire me. And when you are attracted and desire me and pursue me, you're going to find me. Can I tell you what's so vital is that when we come on this, this Wednesday night, that you're coming with a heart of desire, not a heart to spectate. You're not here to go, oh God, I need. You're here to go, God, I want you. God, I'm desiring you. I'm here to seek you. I want to put you first. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, I got a list of things. Can I tell you? Deny those things and say, God, I want you. Realign your schedule. We are called to desire God. Let me ask you this. What do a screaming baby, a thirsty deer, and an Olympic sprinter have in common? Can I tell you God's word tells us? They're vivid pictures. Number, First Peter chapter 2 says this, like newborn baby, babes, they crave, everyone say crave, crave, the spiritual milk so that they'll grow up into salvation. 40, Psalms 42, 1 and 2 says, as the deer, this panting, thirsty deer, as the deer pants and longs for water, so my soul pants and longs for you. Oh God, my God, my soul longs for you. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you know that in a race all the runners run? 
They're not running for the medal around their neck. They're running to honor and to please God. It says, run in such a way that you will win the prize. And that prize is Jesus. That prize is the kingdom. It's not just salvation. It's the kingdom of God. I want you to grasp the gravity. Do craving, panting, thirsting, running after describe your relationship with God? Do you crave him? Do you pant for him? Is there a thirst to know him? Are you just satiated? Has the world numbed you? Have you come to a place just to go, I have enough? Jesus is calling his disciples together. He's going, I want to give you the secret of the kingdom. You've got to delight in it. You've got to deny for it, but you've got to desire it. It's got to drive you. It's got to shape you. It's got to shape your worldview. It's got to shape your perspective. It's got to shape your decisions. St. Augustine said this about God. He once prayed, he says, you breathe forth fragrances and I drew in my breath and I still pant for you. I've tasted much and I still hunger and I thirst. You touched me and I burned with that desire for peace. Church, have you ever been in a place where God has been so real that he satiated everything within you? Can I tell you, those aren't just Holy Spirit moments, even though they are. Can I tell you, that's where God wants you to live. God wants you to live in this deep desire that he is everything to you, that he fills you. When I add a worldly song to this, I think of the song by Marvin Gaye, No Mountain High Enough. There ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley low enough. There ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. I want to ask you today, as we finish this series on the parables, as we've heard the power powerful words of God. What is it that's keeping you from getting to him? I'll tell you this, it's absolutely nothing that he's put in your way. It's most likely everything that you've put in his way. And today, this morning, as we come to the reality of all this, this concept and God, Jesus is coming, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the gravity of my kingdom? Do you understand the gravity of who I am? Do you understand what it is to delight in me? Do you realize, do you understand how much joy I can bring to your life? And many times you and I get stuck on the cost. And Jesus is going, you're focusing on the cost rather than the benefit. Can I tell you the cost is so minor compared to the benefit? This cost versus, cost versus benefit analysis, you step back and go, no, I'm going to benefit, benefit, benefit. It's worth it all. As we close today, have you lost your delight in the kingdom of God? Scale of one to 10 in your delight factor. One being low, 10 being high. Where would you say that you find joy in the kingdom of God? Where are you in your denial factors? One being low, 10 being high. Where are you at going, God, I'm willing to deny for your kingdom. Where are you at on the desire scale? One being low, 10 being high. Where's your desire? Would you bow your heads across this room? No one looking around. I want to just ask, first of all, is there anyone in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? You don't understand this treasure, so I want to introduce you to this treasure. Anybody here today? If you're online watching, I just want to instruct you. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you come into my heart? God, would you forgive me of my sins? I want you. 
Today, as you are sitting here, I'm assuming going to take for the fact that no one raised their hands that you all are believers. And if any of these three criteria touch in your life, no one's looking around. I'm just going to ask you, would you raise your hands to heaven today? Just raise your hands to heaven saying, God, I may not desire you enough. I may not delight in you enough. I may not deny enough. Come on, be honest. This is a holy moment right now. Holy moment right now. God, in the name of Jesus, God, you see these hands that are raised across this room. God, you see these lives that are coming and saying, God, I recognize this in my life. God, today, first of all, we say, God, forgive us. God, forgive us, God, for our short-sightedness. God, forgive us for not allowing you to have full reign. God, forgive us for not, not running the way that we should. God, forgive us. God, today, thank you for understanding. Come on, thank you for understanding. God, thank you for understanding. Thank you that you make plain your word. God, today, I want delight. I want the joy in your kingdom. God, across this room, we declare, God, we want to take joy. We want to find delight in your kingdom. God, cause my delight factor to go off the scale. God, give there such a joy and a, this, this deep delight in who you are. Help me to realize what it is. God, I pray for our denial. This place of sacrifice, God, would you stir us and bring us to a place of willingness to deny it all, to give it up for you. This is not a, 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 a pledge to give to something. This is a pledge to give to you. God, this is all, all or nothing. And God, today I pray, the thing that drove them in their delight, the thing that drove them in their denial was this desire, this craving, this recognition. God, today I pray, God, would you give us a hunger? Say, God, give me a hunger. Come on, God, give me a hunger. God, cause me to thirst. God, let these words of craving and panting and running describe my relationship with you. Not for, not for forgiveness, but because I'm in pursuit of who you are. God, let today, September 25th, be a life-changing day, a life-changing moment. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you need prayer, our prayer team is coming across the front. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to lift you up. Maybe it'll be one of these things and you're struggling. Can I tell you, they're, they're powerful, they're confidential, and they'll pray with you and they'll help you walk through this. Remember, 7 o'clock Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right? Yeah, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock Wednesday night, be here. We're going to pursue God. This is going to be a moment where God's going to show up. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome and God bless. Have, we'll see you next week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.